conversation about real lives as real moms. No matter what happens, it's probably fine. Welcome back to the It's Probably Fine podcast. I'm Joy. And I'm Kayla. And today we're going to talk a little bit about how it's probably fine not to do it all. Yeah, I know in episode one we touched on, um, you know, that Pinterest perfect mom and how we feel the need to, to compete with that and to do that in our own lives. I think social media especially has created these expectations for who we are as moms and that we have it all together and that it looks picture perfect I do all the all time. Together. I have met your children. I have been in your home. That is a lie. <laughs> So I think one of the good things about social media now um, that wasn't necessarily there, you know, even a couple years ago, is that people have started kind of sharing their imperfections a little bit more, and I tend to be drawn to those kind of people and those kind of accounts and things like that, um, versus when, like, Instagram and everything first came out, it was all, like, this is my perfect life, I'm traveling, I'm doing this, these are my perfect kids and their and their perfect playroom and all this, and now it's like, oh, well, no, that's not really what life is like, and I think it makes it more relatable, and um, it kind of opens your eyes to, like, oh, yeah, that's, uh, everybody has that pile of clean laundry waiting to be folded and put away. Yeah, I think I'm seeing more accounts, too, of, like, of of looking at parenting and motherhood through a humorous lens and, like, just laughing about the, the crazy things that happen or making jokes about it because everyone can relate to those experiences. And sometimes you just have to laugh to keep from crying. <laughs> So today we want to talk about how we juggle all the various roles in our lives as moms and wives and in our jobs and just our own personal identity. And I think we want to be very clear that we do not have it all together. (laughs) We do not have all the answers. Um, So we're just sharing our experiences and our personal thoughts on the topic. Um, We are by no means experts giving advice about how to best do this. One thing I read recently about that was uh, from a Nora Roberts interview with someone, and she was talking about how to balance her writing and kids, and that the key to juggling is to know that some of the balls you have are made of plastic and some are made of glass. And I think it's also important to acknowledge that she's talking about you know, some, you have some things at work that are plastic and some that are glass, some things at home that are plastic and some that are glass. And sometimes you have to drop a, let a work thing slide to catch a kid glass ball. And sometimes you have to let a kid thing slide to drop, to catch a work glass ball. And I, I use work and kids cause that's my own personal experience. I know some people have, um, that they're a caregiver for a family member and that's a big part of their life right now. And everybody has something that they're balancing and I think that's one of the reasons it's important to have this conversation about balance because we are all juggling a million glass and plastic balls at the same time and you can't catch all of them it's just too much for one person Mm -hmm. to be able to do everything perfectly you can't do it all and so prioritizing the glass balls and and making catching the glass balls and knowing that they're it's okay if the plastic balls drop sometimes It's okay if you don't do it all, but knowing what's your non-negotiable, what's the most important thing to you to make sure that you don't drop that. So real quick, if you have kids in the car, this is a point where you might want to skip ahead like 30 seconds because I'm going to let some secrets slide, mom secrets. Um, Go ahead. Okay. So one example of something that to me is a plastic ball that other people might think is a glass ball for their children is the whole tooth fairy santa thing like i don't it it wasn't a huge deal to me as a kid to know that the tooth fairy was my mom and so when my daughter um lost her second tooth and straight up came to me and said mom are you the tooth fairy i just looked at her and shook my head and said yes yes i am and so then she asked me for ten dollars instead of one which I gave her because that was just brilliant. And then I asked her not to tell her little brother. Amazing negotiation skills. Yes, she's very good. Very good. Um, but it's that kind of thing where for some people, their child figuring out that the tooth fairy isn't real is like a loss of innocence. Whereas for me, that just doesn't feel like a big thing. And I, for me, the 
complete honesty with her in a situation where I can be completely transparent because there's not always, you can't always do that. That was more important to me. Um, and thankfully my husband was on board because I made that decision in a split second and had no idea how to handle it. She didn't give you time to, to consider it and discuss it with him. Yeah. So, I, you know, and I think because we value honesty with our kids so much that that's, you know, that was a choice that you had to make of, do I keep this going to make it this special thing or do I just be honest with her and let her know how this works? So while that may have been a plastic ball for you in your world, to someone else that may be a glass ball and something that they really prioritize and want to keep alive for their kids. So it's different for every person. We each have Mm -hmm. things that we value differently and we have to decide in our own lives what's a glass ball, what's a plastic ball, because we can't treat everything as a glass ball. And that's one of the hardest things about motherhood from the very beginning is finding balance in what what you feel is important, but then also just in your roles in general and your role as um, maybe an employee, your role as uh, maybe a wife, mother, as a child, if you have parents that you're taking care of, as a sibling, you, you know, all those different relationships, friendships that you're trying to figure out where everything is. And the the pendulum is always swinging and the measures are always changing. At least I, that's how I experienced it. I don't know, maybe it's different for other people, but I felt like right after the birth of each kid, they were my entire world and priority. And then I slowly, you know, next started kind of adding back in things for my marriage and adding back in friendships and taking the time to do things. But you just, you're surviving when that baby is Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially with your first. I think, I think Mm -hmm. it's gotten a little easier to manage as you've added children. (laughs) Maybe. In in some aspects, yes. In some aspects, definitely no. (laughs) You've at least got some like tricks up your sleeve and some experience under your belt to feel like, okay, I'm probably not going to kill this kid. (laughs) Like they're they're probably okay. (laughs) And I kind of know what I'm doing and the other two are still alive. So I think this one will be okay. I still think they should send you home with some kind of manual though. They should. (laughs) They gave me a big binder with lots of papers. Did you read it? Four weeks later, when I was, like, halfway conscious again, and by then it was like, oh, you know, here's all the things not to do in the next four weeks that I had done because I didn't read the papers (laughs) because I was in survival mode with a newborn baby and was exhausted, but that's another topic to discuss later. Um, But I think we we will get into the topic of identity a lot Mm -hmm. uh, because once you become a parent, so much of who you are and what you're doing every day is caring for that child and you lose at least temporarily the person that you were before you became a parent. And so trying to, to find how do I keep the things that made me, me before this child came along, but also be the mom that I want to be and give this child the love and care that, that I want to. And it's okay to want all of those things and to recognize in yourself that you're kind of floundering a little bit, especially there at the beginning, I think. Um, And then to realize that you're going to have to work to rein things back in and to find yourself again and all that and that what you find might be different. And that's okay too. Um, I know that I think actually having this third kid from an identity perspective was the hardest for me not at first at first it was definitely kid number one man like you have that baby and you're about to leave the hospital and you're like what <laughs> is happening yeah. and then your entire existence especially as the mom versus the dad I know dads care and love the children but the mom like every thought in my head was is this safe am I doing okay is she going to somehow learn how to roll over at three days old and, like, (laughs) put her face in the blankets? Like, those kind of almost irrational things, but, you know, you think about that. So your entire focus is on this baby. And then with the second child, I feel like I kind of had it, at least a good idea of how to balance things. And I think maybe my husband was able to take more time off work or something. It just didn't seem – maybe it's just foggy because I haven't, like, slept a whole lot. (laughs) But I didn't seem as dramatic. And then this third time, there was a pandemic. (laughs) 
So let's just put that in there. That definitely changes things. Yes. He was born at the end of April. So we were like at the spike. Um, The first spike, not the second one that we just had. (laughs) And so that was weird. But then I I definitely, at the end of maternity leave, when I tried to put work back into things, just felt like I was going to burst with all of the, the balls I was trying to juggle and trying and I felt like ultimately the one that I dropped that I didn't have a choice and it was just really hard to drop was a lot of my friendships and we and I'm working on building those back and people were understanding and it was only a couple months but I literally couldn't like answer text messages because I just didn't have time to sit down and then when I would be looking at my phone it would be at 2 a.m when I was nursing the baby and then I wouldn't remember that I checked a text message or whatever and and I think part of this journey is having having a, a group of people, having friendships, having people that understand that relationships will ebb and flow. And there will be times that you have to choose the family and the baby glass ball and the friendship becomes the plastic ball for a little while. And not that it's not important, but that at, at that very moment when you have to prioritize that you have to choose your child or your family first. And having a friend that understands that and is okay when you're ready to come back around and you're able to join back into that friendship and always being there and saying, hey, I know that you're going through this season of your life and that's okay, I'm still here. So finding the right people to surround yourself with that make you feel like it's probably fine (laughs) to handle this however you need to handle it. I think that's another thing that has kind of started to come up in public conversation but that still isn't like a mainstream conversation is that um people will tell you that you need to ask for help but and but so that was like the first stage of this conversation is like people are oh you need to ask for help don't be afraid to ask for help it's okay to ask for help like that's cool I don't mind asking for help when I feel like I need it but then now the conversation is Okay, but when you're going to ask people for help, don't just say, um, I need help, or they shouldn't just say, how can I help you? You need to be specific. Well, I'm telling you what, I did not know (laughs) that after my first child was born, what I needed was for you and your husband to come over (laughs) when my husband had to go back to work, and I needed you to sit right next to me and hold that baby so she wasn't too far away. And your husband to clean my kitchen. I did not know that that was a thing that I could ask for or that that was a thing that I needed. And when you guys left in my kitchen, it wasn't like disastrous because people have been bringing us food. But he, what, put all the dishes in the dishwasher, which was the thing that I'd been trying to do for 24 hours and couldn't manage. Right, yeah. And I didn't want to not be with the baby because new brand new mom um, whereas the third time I was like, here's the baby. I'm going to do the dishes. <laughs> Someone else hold the child. Yeah. That's one of my favorite stories of, of being a mom and you being a new mom. And he totally did it unsolicited one because he doesn't hold new babies. So he didn't know what to I don't do. Think he knew what to do. <laughs> and he thought, well, I know how to do dishes and that looks like something that needs to be done in this moment. And he just did it. And so I will forever be thankful to him for doing that and thinking of that idea because, you know, it opened both of our eyes to like, I don't need someone to come hold my baby. I'm a new mom and I want to hold my baby sometimes, but that there are ways to help. And I love that people are like, oh, call us whenever you need us. And they genuinely mean it. It's, it's said with the best of intentions. But, like, sometimes I need you at, like, 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. and everyone's sleeping and then going to work in the morning. And while the the sentiment is there, the logistics of life and, you know, other people's responsibilities just doesn't always mesh with what I need at this very moment to help me survive. This time, um, after O was born, I have a friend who is um, who I met through a running group, and she lives in Fort Wayne, and her kids are all older, like college. I think her youngest is a freshman this year. And she has four kids, and they're all pretty close in age, so she's definitely done the hectic mom crazy thing. And um, she, I think, saw a post on social media or something, like that I had put on my Instagram story, and she commented on it or something. And long story short, she actually sent me um, – uh, like bath salts and like a little care package in the mail and and 
getting that in the mail, I'm not a gifts person. That's not my love language. I don't normally even think to like give people things except when it's like a birthday or Christmas. And sometimes not even then, like let's be real. Um, Cause that involves going to the store with three kids. Well, and so. <laughs> so you avoid that as much as yes. possible these days. Yes. But so that's not a thing that I expect from other people either. But the, the fact that she thought of it and went through putting it in a back, a package and things like that. And she wasn't like, asking me another question I think that's maybe part of what like exhausts me about people offering to help is that it's another thing I have to think about Mm -hmm. and even when they do offer a lot of times like I'm like no because I'm I breastfeed my kids which just makes it it just means that it's still work for me even if you take the baby I still have to do all the things like pump and all that stuff so like that's not helpful in my situation and I think that so thinking of things that people can do to help is just really hard because the things I want you to do to help me are my dishes and laundry. (laughs) (laughs) And and people want to see the baby. When they come Uh visit and they bring the food, they want to hold the baby. They want to be around the baby. That's why they're there. That's why everyone's excited. Of course, they want to help. But, you know, their focus as well is on the baby. It becomes the center of everyone's attention for that time. And so, you know, everyone wants the fun job and the glamorous job of, of helping with the baby but then everyone leaves and you're like, the dishes are still sitting there. The laundry is still sitting there. Um, and there's also something to be said for decision fatigue mm-hmm. as, yeah. as a mom, not only in the early stages, but just in general as you're trying to balance all of life's demands. You know, sometimes you have just made so many decisions in a single day that you don't want to decide what's for dinner. You don't want to pick the book that you read at bedtime. I know that that's something I'm like, you pick. I will read you any book that you want, but don't ask me which one I would prefer. I don't know. The kids have this one about earthworms that I just don't want to read anymore, so I'm thinking <laughs> about packing that one up. So let me just... So my son has taken to this new um, little game at bedtime. This is completely unrelated to balance, but it's related to bedtime stories, where he chooses a book, the same book, several nights in a row and tells me to pretend I don't know what he's picking off the shelf. And I have to repeatedly say, oh, it better not be that book. Anything but that book. I don't want to read that one book. You just pick any. And so then he turns it around and shows it to me and I have to go, oh, not that book again. Every single night. (laughs) Uh, My kids do that except they play games like Mom, am I sitting on my knees or my bottom? And I'm like, well, you're visibly six inches higher. So definitely still on your bottom. And we do this. And they pretend like I don't know. And I pretend like I don't know. And then they'll sit on one knee and halfway on their bottom. And so then Try they... Try to trick you. Yes. Yeah, they're yeah. very sneaky, those children. They're very wily. But yes, I understand the decision <laughs> fatigue and the... Fatigue in general. <laughs> fatigue in general seems to be a running trend of motherhood. It's just exhaustion. And that's one of the things that's so hard about finding that balance is that you have, you want to spend all your time with your kids, like doing the fun things, but then there's also the things you just have to do because they are um, zero and four and seven and can't cook their own food and do their own laundry and um that's just how you care for them and the household and you know my husband does things too but I'm the one that's there day in and day out right there with them most of the time just because of the work situation um and so then when you add to that that you start to kind of get your feet back under you after the baby's born and then it's like oh time to go back to work because we live in the U.S. and (laughs) I think with my first kid I took six weeks because we didn't have any money so I and I didn't get paid so I had to to go back and then second kid was I think eight and then I took two part-time weeks to come back as a transition and then this time I did take the full 12 and it was still just as tough to then go back to work um, and try to cram everything else into that around 40 hours of work, which I like working. I, I enjoy it. It just, this is the first time that I went back and it was just like, oh my goodness, I don't know how I'm going to handle all this. Oh, and then I'm married too. So <laughs> my poor husband was like, hi, I'm here. <laughs> Somehow you still also have to make time for your spouse and your marriage and to continue to nurture that through it all 
Um, I was very lucky in that I got to extend my maternity leave uh, to about four months, and it was wonderful. And um, I mean, it was exhausting, but it was wonderful that I was I had the ability to take that time. Um, and with being a teacher, there was this really awesome thing about having a summer baby where I hadn't started any days of the new contract year yet. So we were going to have this really fun situation where I had to pay my employer <laughs> for my insurance benefits during that time because I would have no paycheck to pull that out of. Um, luckily, I guess for me, the way it worked out... Um, he came late and I had a C-section and so my recovery time was a little longer and um, my maternity leave officially went into that new contract just enough that it covered our insurance and a teeny tiny paycheck during my maternity leave. So, um, but I felt like in those four months that I was kind of getting the hang of things a little bit and then... (laughs) back to work. And, you know, I know that mom guilt is a thing that comes up a lot in the, in our conversations. And I felt a lot of mom guilt going back to work because I'm spending my entire day caring for other people's children and helping them and molding them and, and giving them support while I'm sending my own child to daycare to be cared for by someone else. Now, we had an amazing childcare provider, and she loved our son like he was her own. So I, I don't regret that now. I think that um, that was incredibly important for him, and he made friendships and, um, you know, bonded with her, and she loved him so much. And we still keep in touch with her now, even though he's, you know, elementary school age. But no matter how good the caregiver is, it's not mom. Right. For, from your perspective, right. of like the mom guilt feeling. And, you know, it, I questioned, like, why am I spending all of my time away from him, caring for other people's kids, and and earning a paycheck to pay for child care for someone else to spend this time with him? You know, especially in the beginning. So, um, and I also was breastfeeding, and so going back to work, the stress and the like not <laughs> drinking enough water and trying to find the time during the school day to you know to pump in and make it all work you know was really a struggle and looking back like I would have been much more forceful and like vocal about my needs and making that situation work better but at the time I was trying to be accommodating I was trying to still be the teacher and employee I had been before becoming a mom. Um, But it was different. You can't, you can't still do things at the same level you had and be the same person you were when your entire life and identity and responsibilities have changed. I think that that, that is a common thing, whether, you know, breastfeeding or not, childcare or not, but that if you are a working mother or a working parent, um, really, the idea of going back to work is already intimidating. And then having those conversations about, yes, I need this 20 minutes three times a day or two times a day or whatever. I was very fortunate with my first that um, our director actually called me to make sure because legally they have to provide a place in this in Indiana you have to provide a place for um, moms to nurse or to pump if they if that's the thing that they choose to do and it has to not be their lunch break like you still have to give their lunch break there's rules I don't know what this was seven years ago maybe it's different now but she called me to make sure that if that was something I needed that she could arrange that for me and it was just I hadn't even thought about it with my first and I'll second and third time I, you know, have a plan and was also much more comfortable being an advocate for myself and putting on my calendar space and saying, this is a time that I am taking for myself, not for myself, for my baby, but you know, Mm -hmm. um, like planning as a meeting. Whereas the first kid, I tried to do the same thing, but she actually, as a mother of her kids were then in middle school. So she had been through all that. It was just really eye opening how you can, advocate for and take care of other moms in in your workspace and I think that's another conversation that just doesn't happen a whole lot and I wish it happened more where people were like 
like, yeah, no, don't slack off or not do your work. Like, being a mom, if you're going to do do the juggling thing with the mom and work, you got to do the juggling thing. You can't just come back to work and expect a paycheck for doing nothing. But at the same time, there is definitely space for let's give you a little bit of grace here. It, you know, if, if you need to cut out, you work through your lunch break and cut out 30 minutes early because your kid is sick, I don't know. Like those kind of conversations I think could happen more and this time where a lot of people are working from home, I feel like is starting to have those conversations of does the work week look like a 9 to 5 in an office or does it look like um like you teach from your computer while your kid is in the other room learning from his computer <laughs> and it's it's all kind of flowy now and some of that's good and then there's also the whole boundaries issue that is not good for mental health and that yeah. mental load yeah I think the the lack of boundaries has has created some new issues um and you know my son is going to the school that I teach at this year so there's been some mix of emotions through all of that of like I love that I can watch his first school experience live and in person and you know see him in the lunchroom and he can give me a hug or wave to him on his way to the playground or those sort of things. But then, you know, when a pandemic shuts things down and he's learning from his tablet on the other side of the room while I'm trying to live teach from my <laughs> laptop and I hear him say something and I can't stop my lesson to correct him and get him back on track, um, you know, it that creates its own set of like, you know, there's no alone time in my life at all right now. Like he is with me at home. He is with me in the car. He is with me at school. And, um, I know alone time has been something even prior to this, that seems like such a struggle, um, that is so necessary for us to decompress and recharge. I feel like that is when I'm most productive is when I have that time and space to be away and clear my head and then come back ready to go. Yeah, I I get the mental part of that for sure, the alone time. But I also, on a whole nother level, feel like I need to be alone sometimes just so that people aren't touching me <laughs> anymore. Touching, I am yes. not... Um, I'm fine with the six feet distance during the pandemic. <laughs> I kind of love that people can't touch me. <laughs> so let's just pause for a moment to discuss the fact that I am much more the physical, affectionate person of our duo, that I love hugs. I very much am okay with all of those things. And Joy is not. <laughs> I think I might have hugged you one time. You did. I think you warned me first. Can I tell you why you hugged me? You remember? I do. Were you crying or something? No. It what was happened? because your dad told you that you should try to show people that you care oh, about yeah. them a little more. Yeah. My dad is a huggy person. Yeah. And I do a thing when people try to hug me. I don't – my body does a thing involuntarily where I think I shrug my shoulders and like kind of give up. off this vibe of please don't touch me. Um, it's just not a thing. It doesn't know, even occur to me that people would want to be hugged. I mean, my children, that's completely different. I should say that. Yes. My, You're they not are cold attached to me to your all the time. I'm literally feeding one from my body every two hours because he's teething and going through a growth spurt. No, they get held. They get cuddled. They yes. sleep regardless of what everybody thinks about whatever. They do sleep in my bed a lot, like fall asleep there. Then we carry them to their bed because, to be honest, I would wake up with black eyes from the flipping and turning <laughs> that they do. Um, but, yes, touching is not a thing a thing that I enjoy. It drains me. Yeah. And so to have three kids, let's say it's a Saturday and we're, like, really getting into, like, cuddle time because it's winter <laughs> And it's cold, and I still make them go outside, but, you know, there's a lot more inside. And they want to either wrestle, which is also touching. They want to cuddle and watch a movie, which is more touching. They need hands washed and faces wiped. And then with you add the breastfeeding, that's just a whole nother level of touching. And <laughs> then they go to bed, and I am exhausted. And it's not because I had to, like – do more things than any other day it's because every time they need me to 
do something, it just sucks more of my energy out, which I willingly give. But when they go to bed, like, I realize, whoa, I am. That was a lot of touching. I am done. So can I just go back to the hug for one second? So when she the one hug. when she comes up to me and gives me this unsolicited hug for the first oh, time you did cry. in our entire friendship, I probably cried. I also believe I asked you if you were dying. You might have. <laughs> Are you okay? Have you found out something? I wouldn't hug you if I found out I was something dying. disastrous about your your health. I'd and probably text you. She said, "No, my dad just told me I need to probably show people that I care about them a little bit more than I do." I think his point was that. Um, I was that I maybe start to get a little self-centered in how I love people and that I need to, and he has a good point, that I need to think more about how other people want to be loved. It's and it's not just about your love language. It's maybe about it the is, love though. language of others. <laughs> and I think I do a good job of that with the kids, but outside of my three kids. And most of the time my husband, sometimes I do – like things for him that I would appreciate and then I'm like wait a minute he doesn't care about that he cares about this right but for other people in life it's hard for me to but see then you go back and that's another thing I have to think about and that's where I fall to pieces about being able to juggle all the balls because like at the most basic of things I have to keep the little children alive make sure they're living in a safe and clean environment Make sure that I'm getting my work done. Make sure that um, I still have a spouse because, <laughs> like, we're paying attention and talking about things more than just when are you going to pick the kids up. Um, and then there are other parts of my life that need nurtured. And then there's also, like, journaling and self-reflection and reading and spirituality and those kind of things, like, that I, I do for to make myself a better person – Yes. And, uh, you know. And how do you fit it all in? I don't know. I haven't gone for a run. Running is part of my identity. It is how I define myself. Which is also you. I am not a fan. It's not a, a Kayla thing. It's, it that is, is not. only a joy thing. Yeah. Um, and I have not gone for a run without a kid since O was born. I don't think I've gone for a run at all in the last, like, two or three months. Just because of everything, pandemic, e-learning, work, all the J working, no more. alone time ever. Yeah, and putting them all in that stroller and the bicycles is a whole. Like when I say I'm going for a 30 minute run, it's a two hour process easily. No. So balancing, I don't. I don't even know how I take care of myself right now. Well, and going back to, you know, our love languages and how we show others that we care about them and just feeling touched out. Like, I am a touchier person than you. I love the hugs. That fills me up when I'm around people that I care about and they, we express our our love and care for each other with hugs and closeness and those sort of things. Um, But when you have a child always touching you, even I get Mm. touched out. And then, you know, M finally goes to bed and how do you nurture your marriage? Like my husband is also a touchy person and wants to hug and snuggle and kiss and be together. And sometimes I just have to say, like, I just need five minutes not being talked to, not being touched, not like just literally sitting in silence, my brain doing nothing. With zero sensory input. Yes. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> because it is sensory overload with the children. There's the noises and the touching and the movement. And it's just always, you have to be always on, always on. My kids figured out how to make squeaky noises um, like a squeaky toy in the car the other day. Fun. It was really fun <laughs> until I finally had to tell them, teach them what the word obnoxious <laughs> meant. And, and now they've uh, added that to their vocabulary. Yes, along I'm with sure. nomenclature and whatever the other word was she learned yesterday. And you I'm can like, thank your dad you know? for that. How? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> so M's newest trick is that he was really determined to learn how to whistle. He so wants to learn how to whistle, and he keeps asking me how to do it. And I try to show him, and well. I didn't learn how to whistle until I was 21 years old, so I'm I, not the best teacher. I still don't know how to whistle. It's, yeah, it's pretty pathetic even now. 
But so instead, in his attempts to whistle, he's mostly just like shrieking. That's fun. <laughs> with his mouth in a whistle position. I'm like, the noise is coming from your throat. It's not a whistle, but he's trying really hard. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate his perseverance. But if he could just stop doing that in the car and other places where whistling would not even be appropriate, yeah, that would be great. My husband has this trademark whistle that it's just like a little tune. I can't whistle, so I can't do it. And his dad does the same thing. So like if we're at a grocery store or something and he's, or we, you know, we don't go places together anymore because only one person's allowed. <laughs> and also there are three kids involved. But so pre-pandemic. But pre-pandemic, <laughs> we would go to a store and we would get separated and he'd do this little like whistle tune. Like and a Marco Polo situation. Yes, but I can't do it back. So I just have to find him. <laughs> And yes, we both do have cell phones. We just, this is way more fun. It's a fun game of cat and mouse. Yeah. So then E learned it. Like, so she hears that sound and she knows that's daddy looking for her. And now she tries to do it, but it's just a squeak from her. And it's not a whistle (laughs) and it's the same thing, like from the throat. And then L, he doesn't have to do whistles or anything because his voice is so loud (laughs) that you can hear that kid from anywhere Mm -hmm. I don't know how at preschool they I don't know how they rein it in because there it becomes a thing where I have to tell him he has to whisper because he doesn't have an indoor voice it Mm -hmm. it is a when he is a man like a grown adult (laughs) man he's gonna have that booming Mm -hmm. I don't need a microphone voice and good for him it will serve him well. I live I with just, a couple of those gentlemen as well. Yeah. So I, I understand this. I just this need sentiment. him to learn how to rein it in. And we laugh about the boys especially with the sensory overload and all those things that you have to kind of juggle and stuff like that. But the it, boys seem to just really need us they, in a way that is different than your daughter. Oh, yeah. Well, I think there is some truth to that. Boys love their mommies different and... She gets her security from my husband. I mean, she needs things from me, but it's it's different the way that she reacts to me versus him. Um, she also takes what he says at face value and questions everything I say. She's only seven, so this is not does not bode well for the future. <laughs> but it's fine. It's probably fine. Yes. Good luck to you and her teenage years. Yeah, I don't know. Well, that'll be a whole another thing down the line. But it's. I think that. All of that ups and downs and overloads and highs and lows kind of makes you as a mom feel lots of different conflicting feelings. And I think that that's one of the conversations that we have a lot with our friends in our book club and things like that. And it's it's that it's okay to feel really happy about something that seems silly or think something's funny that maybe is a little bit traumatic or dramatic (laughs) and you just all you can do is laugh and it's also okay to feel anxious about things or like you feel anxious about different things than I feel anxious about it's okay to feel just just ragey sometimes (laughs) towards the little human there are moments of rage yes um you know and I think we go back to that social media piece of like I put the happy family photos on there. I don't put the moments where I slam the door and hide in the closet and, you know, just have that moment of, like, I'm going to lose it if I don't separate myself from this experience and from this moment. Um, So I think putting out there in the conversation that it's okay to feel however you feel when when the, the load of motherhood just feels too much. But also, we don't want ourselves or others, because we care about people, not because we're telling you what to do, don't stay in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. find find your way out. Take that time, reset, do what you have to do to care for yourself so that you can become the mom and the person that you want to be. And, and find your baseline, as we say in our you know trainings and things at school. Um, I think it's important to have a kind of a toolbox full of things where you have things that you can do in 30 seconds. Um, I tell L he's just a a more emotional child. Highs are highs and lows are lows. Um, 
And so we've been doing a thing where I'll, I'll have him count to four. Like, th- there's a Daniel Tiger thing about I it. I just found the Daniel Tiger app the other day. Yeah, when you feel so mad and you want to roar. Yes, take a deep breath and count to four. There, yes. So, yes. so he, you know, he's that age. He's Do four years old. Do you use this app with your child? No, I just sing the songs and he does the things. Yeah, I just found an app that has all the little catchy songs. Well, I So you need to going get to that in your that. life because I just turned it on and handed it to M the other day. And he pushed the button and sang the song and took the deep breaths himself because he also has big emotions. We need an adult version of that app then because that's the kind of thing that I use for him or E does these brain things. I don't know. You're a kindergarten teacher. She's in first grade, so you probably know. There's like bubble breaths where you breathe in and you pop the bubble. And there's, I don't know. She taught him all these breaths. And so they'll go do their breaths. And I, I have equivalent things where I have 30 seconds I can step away or if I have an hour this is how like I'll read or attempt to go for a run when I don't have a baby at home um and things like that and I think to your point of not staying in that place I think that's where it becomes a whole nother conversation about mental health that we you know we'll touch on later but um finding those things that work for you and having the conversations about different techniques that people use because some things that work for you would work for me some things that work for you I would be like that is just going to give me more anxiety why would I do that you know and like if I told you to go for a run to burn off stress you would look at me like I was crazy yes absolutely that would be (laughs) punishment that would not be self-care or calming or uh, rejuvenating in any way (laughs) I always say I feel great after it's done though like, I tell you that once we've run a race or we've... I, I have joined you on this journey multiple times and yeah. hated every moment you, except for the very end. I thought we were not going to be friends anymore after that Blizzard 10K that we... Or no, that was a 5K. It was a 5K. And then the 10K, you were mad at me too for that. Yeah, I get mad at you time. a lot about running and fitness. But then I always feel good at the end and thank you. And then you want to sign up for another one. We digress. And then you yell at me the whole time again. Yes, this is how our friendship works. She tells me to do things. I tell her no. I do it anyway. I get mad at her. And then I'm like, hey, thanks for making me do that thing. So (laughs) introvert versus extrovert. We can talk about that for days. We'll save that for another day. We do have differences in our personalities that way. But I think so taking care of ourselves can come in in a lot of different ways for each person. But we hear so much about self-care but I think we need to spend some time talking about what that is not. Because a lot of social media posts, and it's funny to be like, oh, you know, the mom that walks around Target drinking Starbucks. All for that. Totally about that life. I like Starbucks. <laughs> I'm big fan. I'm less, I'm less uh, pro-Target right this second just because going to stores is not a thing I like to do right now. Okay, but. well, let's talk pre-pandemic. <laughs> that was... That was, you know, a little mini vacation for me. But while those things are enjoyable and they are fun for us to to talk about and joke about with other moms, that is not Mm self-care. That is not what fills you up long-term. That hour trip to the store of quiet time on your own, shopping for groceries while drinking coffee, is not enough to sustain you it's not truly no being able to take a shower on your own that would I would that would not fall under self-care and mental health for me that would fall under um necessities and if you let's be totally honest I work from home and don't leave my house a whole lot so showering every day probably happens washing my hair happens like once a week for my hair's health first of all (laughs) because it's not good you know but also yeah showering is a is a thing you should be allowed to do on a regular basis and if you can't then I then call me and I, I will come sit with your kids for five minutes so you can take a shower I don't it really starts to drive me crazy when people say you know self-care is things like being able to go grocery shopping by yourself no you're still taking care of other people when you go grocery shopping um maybe eating like cooking a healthy meal if cooking is something you enjoy that could be self-care. That could be, it's the same way with like exercise. Running for me is self-care. For other people, that's not. But that's a time when I don't 
have any input into me. Like I'm just running. My mind is clear. I'm. It's for you it and is. about it's, you. And it's for my mental health. And But I think yeah. sometimes our lives feel so busy and we feel like we have to do all the things that those moments of like going to the store by yourself or taking a shower by yourself and not being touched and talked to feel like, okay, this is what I need for me. And yes, in a, in a sense it is, but it is not truly what we talk about when we talk about self-care. Those quick fixes are not, they're band-aids on, on the moment. They are not long-term solutions of how to handle the stressors of life and motherhood. It's like a conversation about preventative health care versus fixing things after they're broken. You know, so that idea of um, taking care of yourself and drinking water and those kind of things, like, it seems like that's the kind of stuff that moms put by the wayside because we don't, I can't tell you how many times that I've had to, like, go pee and then forget, like, because I get distracted. I don't know how you forget you have to go to the bathroom, (laughs) but as a mom, I'm sure that I am not the only person who has done this. You are not. And then, like, two hours later, I'll be like, why? My bladder hurts so bad. I need to go sit down and go to the bathroom. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I never went. I I never went. Yeah. Or I'll just keep saying, oh, after I do this, I'll go. After I do this, I'll go. And, um... I'm still going to go with the door open and kids are going to be coming in and out while I'm going, but you know. <laughs> Why? Why does my child always want to be held know. when I'm in the bathroom? It's the weirdest it's thing. The, it's like the second I go in there, he knows and he instantly needs me. He could be playing with his toys or with his dad or watching a show and he's fine. And then I walk in the bathroom and he instantly needs me. He needs to snuggle. He needs to talk. He yeah. needs me to come look at something or help him with something. There is some sort of sixth sense that my child has about my time in the shower or the bathroom. Mine usually need a drink of water, which is kind of funny because they love getting on the stool in the kitchen. So any other time, (laughs) they'll get up there by themselves and get their cups and fill their water up Mm -hmm. because that's a thing that they can do on their own now. Um, But they somehow need me to do it for them if I'm trying to take a shower. (laughs) I just need you. I need you, Mommy. I cannot wait the two minutes until you're done. (laughs) I know. It's not like I'm taking a 30-minute shower. No. I'm not even washing my hair. (laughs) Um, I think there's a a point that you make often, and I know that I am not good at this one. I I struggle with this one and have to work on on this myself. Um, But the difference between self-indulgence and Mm self-care. You know, those quick fixes um, of going to Target and Starbucks feel great, but they're not truly, like, nurturing our bodies and making us feel better long term. I personally am a stressed eater, which is absolutely not self-care, but it's it's a a bad coping mechanism I've developed over time. And so that's something I have to work on, you know, and and tell myself that self-care is not eating the three Reese cups because I'm stressed. Oh, but you can eat three Reese cups, let's be very yes, clear. No, I am not judging. I am definitely guilty of that. But I also know that that is not going to help me handle my stressors. And some of that depends on who you are and your personal experience and how you, your habits and how you, you take care of yourself too. Because things like for example, like wine could be a good example of that's going to fall on a variety of scales for a variety of people. So I enjoy a glass of wine at night after my kids go to bed and I've had a day, That's but that's not what I would consider self-care. That's a self-indulgence for me. That's, that is um, money that I spent on a, a drink that I don't need, that I just enjoy sitting down and having that quiet moment by myself. And for other people, that could quickly become a um, a cycle of like how you deal with things mm-hmm. is the drinking or like in the example you gave with the stress eating. I like Reese cups, man, and I'm going to eat some Reese cups and do and you do you and I do me and whatever. Actually, I really like dark chocolate with the caramel in the oh, middle. Yeah. But that's a good one too. Um, point being, I like chocolate of all types <laughs> and. 
but when you are eating the chocolate as a consistent response to the stress, mm-hmm. I think that that's where you kind of cross that boundary into I'm really just giving into my immediate wants versus taking care of my long-term needs. And I think that is that self-indulgence versus self-care. The, like you were saying, the self-indulgence is just a quick fix. It makes me feel good right now. When what I wish that more of the conversation was about is that preventative kind of keeping, trying to keep things at a more of a base level than just kind of spikes of stress all the time, which you're going to have because you're a mom. But I think that if we could learn to say, you guys just give me a second. Mommy's going to go to the potty. I'm going to close the door. I'm going to go and I'm going to wash my hands before you open the door. A four-year-old is old enough to understand that kind of boundary. The baby, he's going to do what he's going to do. Right. But I also need to understand that, yes, he is hungry. It's He's going to be fine for one minute if I take care of filling up my glass of water before I sit down and nurse him because I need water and and I need to take care of myself and my body. The same way, like, thinking ahead and planning out those meals is a stressor and it's another thing that I have to do. But I know that if I think about that, then it will save me from the anxiety of sitting there at 4.30 going, I guess I'm going to feed them chicken nuggets again because I don't know what else to make and I don't know what food I have and the baby is crying and I can't figure it all out one time. And I just wish that that was more a part of the conversation of like self-care is actually taking the time to set yourself up for success as a person, not just as a mom. Mm -hmm. And it's just not. It's like feeling stressed let's go spend money you know because then you stress about (laughs) well now we have less money to to pay bills and do the other things and I think that's part of the balance conversation is that we are the moms who feed our kid kids organic berries and smoothies and things because you know we don't want them to eat pesticides and get cancer like that's also part of the mom guilt is like well am I doing things now that's gonna cause my child harm later um so yes we do that we we spend the extra money on the organic blackberries but then spend the extra money on chick-fil-a because that's my mother (laughs) but then there are the nights where we turn around and we buy a tray of chicken nuggets and like here kids enjoy and then go play in your socks in the mud puddle in the backyard <laughs> because those socks, I just don't understand that That's one. Fine. That's fine. The mud is organic too, right? It's fine. Probably. I we, don't know. Maybe it's not because like pesticides in the grass. <gasps> Another thing to feel guilty about. I know. We moved into a home a few years ago that has well water. And I, you know, lit, grew up on city water. And so I'm like, well, are all of the chemicals from people's lawn care going into my well water? I love me some well water. Yeah, unless it's full of, you know, fertilizers and pesticides from my neighbor's yards. Their beautiful green yards are killing my kid. I digress. Mom guilt is is an ever-growing thing. So (laughs) back to self-care, though, and and finding balance. Um, It's okay to feel all the things, all the stressors, all the guilt, all the worry. But... You must find, at least I've found in our lives, we have to find, and it's a constant struggle, find the things that bring us back to us, bring us back to baseline, get us to the point where we can model appropriate behavior for our kids. Because if I'm upset and I'm ragey and I'm yelling and I'm irritable, I'm not setting that example for my son. I'm not showing him what good coping skills are. And we talk about that. Like, yes, we want to treat our kids like kids, because they are little people. But ultimately, we're raising little adults. Right. We're setting them up for who they're going to be as as adults. And I think that's probably why we feel so much pressure to do it right. Oh, yeah. And to do it well is because we want them to go on and be successful, competent people. Um, but I think we also want to let people know that there are different ways that you can do this. And if you're not okay and able to find those self-care rituals or experiences on your own, it's okay to reach out for help mm-hmm. in whatever way that is. Maybe it's, you know, talking to your best friend. Maybe it's going to book club. Maybe it is just making time for things that you enjoy. 
maybe it's talking to a healthcare professional or a mental healthcare professional for some therapy and counseling or a spiritual leader at your church or taking medications to get you through Mm -hmm. that time and that struggle. There's no right way to do it. And there's a lot of stigma, I think, around mental health struggles and how we cope with them. And so I've kind of always been a pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of person. And I've just recently, especially with the added stressors of the pandemic, um, felt the need to reach out for more help. And that's okay. And um, through that experience, a lot of the conversation has come around finding ways to do things for myself, finding that time for myself, finding those things that made me me before I became a mom. And so some of the things could be, you know, journaling. Um, I've started when I feel those moments, writing down all the things that are worrying me. When my anxiety and my worries overcome me, I sit down and I write down all the things that are on my plate that are making me feel worried. That might make me feel worse. I'm glad it works for you. What I, well, I was a little nervous that, I, that that would, seeing it on paper would overwhelm me. But what I found was that when I wrote them all down, the list looked so small. Yeah. All these feelings and worries that felt so big when in writing were just like seven things. I find the gratitude thing, like I know that's a common thing in Mm -hmm. uh, November especially, is to write like three things you're thankful for every day. But if you say, I'm going to write three things I'm thankful for every day, and they have to be different from the days before, then you really start to get into the nitty gritty and you start to realize like, oh, I'm really grateful that... Um, the pumpkin pie tastes so creamy delicious because it brings joy to my Thanksgiving moment. And, you know, (laughs) I don't know. Like, you really get into the little things and you're not just like, I'm thankful that I have three kids and they're relatively healthy right now. It's a very profound way to discuss pumpkin pie. I was trying to, like... In all of its glory. (sighs) Don't get me wrong. I love a good pumpkin pie. I don't even like pumpkin pie. Just using that as an example because it was Thanksgiving. Yeah. Well, pumpkin pie is the way to go. Thanksgiving or not, I'm a big fan. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Point being, yeah, you need to find things that work for you. And And gratitude literally reshapes your brain and changes how you see the world. So when you're feeling anxious and you're constantly focused on all the things that are going wrong or all the things that could happen or... That person just cut me off in traffic and all those things. You're rewiring your brain to see the negative in situations. And I am so guilty of this myself and have to, even though I know that this is how it works and this is how it happens, I have to consciously make the choice to stop myself when I'm going down a negative path and trying to rewire my brain to focus on the positive. And the more you do that, the more it naturally just becomes habit and changes your perspective on every situation and makes even those stressful situations seem not so big. So sometimes I feel like in trying to take those moments to care for ourselves and do things that make us feel us again and keep us at that baseline so we can meet our kids' needs too, we feel selfish. We feel the mom guilt. We feel like I shouldn't be taking time or spending money or, uh, you know, having this time away from my kids to focus on myself. We feel selfish instead of just understanding that that's what I need. That's, that's part of what we have to do to, to be the best moms and wives and employees and all the things to, to be the best at all those things that we can be while we're juggling all those different responsibilities. E told me the other day, so they have to set um, intentions or commitments, I think they call them, for their day in their online Google Meet. I think they do it in person too, but I only hear it obviously when she's at home doing school. And they set a commitment for the day, and the one that she chose the other week was to give herself grace even when it's not perfect, which I thought is so great for her because she is very much like me from an academic standpoint, a little bit of a perfectionist. 
Um, I don't mind sticking post-it notes on the board <laughs> crooked, but I, I want my math problems to be correct and things like that. She's the same way. And so the idea that she would say that and it would hit me so profoundly as something that I also need to practice with myself and with the kids too. But I, I find that I give them more grace than I give myself or even my friends a lot of times. Um, you kind of get into that mindset where you're absentmindedly judging people for things. And I think that idea to give myself grace in motherhood, even when it's not exactly the picture perfect thing that I thought it, it might could be eventually. Um, I think that's a concept that is important to keep in mind. And it just brings it back to that idea that it, it really is fine if you don't do it all. And if we can't handle keeping every category of our lives at 100% go all the time. If the kids are still alive and fed and loved at the end of the day, then... And mostly clean. And mostly clean. <laughs> sort of clean. But if all of those things, you know, happen at the end of the day, then it's probably fine. Yeah. And there will be things changing priorities. And sometimes my marriage takes front and center. And sometimes work takes front and center. And sometimes my kids take front and center. And no matter what, it's probably fine. Mm-hmm. 